Good morning on this Friday morning and welcome to our devotional Golden Nuggets, Food for Thought and for the Imagination. If you joined us yesterday, we left off in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 18 and 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring unto God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Then verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. In chapter 3 and verse 18, the emphasis was being put to death in the flesh. His physical body died, but it was his soul it was his physical it was his physical body that died and was put in the tomb but his soul is what made atonement the the soul in the old testament talks about that life that is in us not the, not the spirit not 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 the ruach but but the she that that life that is in us the nephesh is is the soulish part of us that is the part that Jesus, the Bible says, poured out his soul for us. So he poured out his life literally. Well, as we look at the scriptures today and we consider that we are to arm ourselves, that means we are to take on that type of equipment and thinking, that type of weaponry to arm ourselves. Now, if you stop and think about it for a minute, how do you arm yourself likewise with the same mind? Well, we can consider what the Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter number 10. We can see very distinctly in verse number 3, 4, 5, and 6. We're given an example of this. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, because we have a fleshly body, but we do not war after the flesh our war is a spiritual war but even though we are in a physical body it says it takes place in the mind in the area of the soul verse 10 says of second corinthians 10 uh, 4 for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through god to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now that's a key factor right there. What is the knowledge of God? And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, having, a, having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. <clears throat> the scripture says, as we were looking back at the book of First uh, uh, Peter, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Even though he has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. And that's not just attitude, but it's the 
thoughtfulness, the moral understanding, the intent that he has suffered, we will most likely suffer also in the flesh. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, it says, But the God of all grace, and I, I like that because it's not the God of grace, but the God of all grace. And we have to emphasize that grace is manifold. In other words, there's a lot of varieties of grace. When we look at the scripture, especially in First Peter, in chapter 4, in uh, verse number 10, the scripture talks about the manifold grace of God. And the scripture is very... Uh, very clear. As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And the word therefore manifold uh, basically means various in character or divers. In other words, the different types of grace. Not everybody is endued with the same grace or the same type of grace, but there are variances of grace in an individual's life. An individual may have the grace to sing beautifully. Another one may go and take lessons and attempt to, and yet he'll never have the grace of the individual that has been given the grace to be able to sing. Now, by some miracle that God would touch that person's vocal cords and voice, and then that individual accomplishes that which physically he could not have done on his own through uh, study and lessons and practice and stuff like that, then he may better himself. But that still does not necessarily mean that he will have the grace that is given to an individual that can do it because that is what has been given to him. Other people are good speakers. But then there are people that we call charismatic when they talk. Well, there is a grace that can be given to them. But then you also have people that are just simply good talkers. And it's, it's not so much a grace, but it's ju just like an individual that can just basically sell, sell you land on the moon. But that doesn't mean he has a grace for it. Now, it says in verse number 11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So understanding this, it doesn't stop there. It goes on to verse 12, and odd enough, here he's talking about the manifold grace of God, and then all of a sudden, the subject comes up of, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you as though it was some strange thing that happened unto you. But rejoice in as much 
as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So we see a connection here. The grace of God upon an individual's life to give him the ability and be able to finish the task or accomplish the assignment that God has called that individual to do is because of specific grace that is given. Remember, Paul, when he was going through what he was going through in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he says, Lord, you know, take this way, take this thing away from me, this this angelic uh, messenger, this demon that has been just absolutely pounding on me day and night everywhere I go. I, I've been frustrated. I've been accused of things. I've been beaten. And, and God says, my grace is sufficient. Three times he tells them, my grace is sufficient for thee. Now, when we consider the master himself, if you think about the book of John in uh, chapter 1 in verse 14, we begin to see something interesting in the life of Jesus. And that is basically that he was full of grace. The verse itself uh, reads in this manner. <clears throat> it says, And the word became, or the word was made flesh, and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was full of grace in every facet and every area of his life. It didn't matter if he was dealing with the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. It didn't matter if he was dealing with the common people, with the rich people, with sinners or tax collectors, or with those that assumed that they were holy. He was given the grace to be able to minister to the needs of the people. According to the manifold grace of God in his life, there was no limit to what he could do. But yet we ourselves are limited by our faith being exercised and fighting the battles of our mind that when we find ourselves in situations and circumstances, sometimes we want to accuse God and say, what have I done? Why am I going through this? But yet the scripture says, arm yourself, equip yourselves likewise with the same mind. So if I'm going to equip myself with the same mind, I have to know what are the attitudes and what are the behaviors and what are the circumstances that I'm going to be dealing with in my life and then be prepared that in these things I may have to deal with certain things and I don't have the ability, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the know-how how to deal with them and I am going to need the grace of God. Of course, we've learned also that the Spirit of God would give us the words, help us at that time to say what is needful to say and have it to be inspired of God, to be totally and completely free and outspoken without hindrance, full confidence 
because we know in whom we have trusted and believed, and we know he's able to finish the work that he has started in us. But if we have not armed our mind and our understanding with these things, when they come, our mind has a tendency to wander, and it has a tendency to all of a sudden begin to allow strongholds to build up and fortify the mind, not on the behalf of God, but on the behalf of the enemy. And we can develop ideas, doctrines, ideologies, and all sorts of things that are contrary to the Word of God, and they become strongholds there. So we have to know what does the Word of God say. We have to spend time in the Word of God, not just reading it, not just studying it, but memorizing it also so that the Word is fresh in there. And we have to spend time in prayer before God and the Holy Spirit so that He can teach us waiting upon God on the things that He needs to lead us into so that when we enter into that circumstance, when we enter into that situation, when we find ourselves in that thing, we are ready to respond in faith and in confidence because we have armed our mind, our thinking. Another way that we could say it is be renewed in the spirit of your mind and or, uh, according to Romans in chapter 12, in uh, verse number 2, we can take our mind and have it completely transformed, have it changed so that it is not conformed to this world. It reads in this manner. <clears throat> it says, and be not conformed. The word conformity there is don't be fashioned or alike. Alike what? This age. Look at the things of this age. Not the world, not the cosmos, but the age. Look at the age that we live in. And how people are basically driven by what is in the age and what is happening. What is the now thing? But it says, but be ye transformed, which means metamorphosis, like the butterfly and the worm, the worm turning into a butterfly. It, there's nothing similar, nothing that is the same when you look at a, a caterpillar and you look at a butterfly. It goes through a complete transformation. But this transformation is not in our physical body, but it says by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to, with that renewed mind, prove what is the good, what is the acceptable, and what is the perfect will of God. And in all things we have to know what is the will of God concerning the situation that I find myself in. So it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take energy. And if we don't do it, it does not get accomplished on its own. God is expecting us to pay a certain price for the things that we are going to receive. Everything that God has for us is freely given. But at the same time, it requires that we seek, that we search, that we deny ourselves. So that is not free in that sense. It's still required. That, that, in other words, God gives it free, but it requires us to put our part in there, to do our assignment. 
Well, consider this food for thought today, for the imagination. Keep looking up. Our Redeemer cometh. The Lord richly bless you. Amen.